Danny Pants. And this is Joey Pants, Daniela's father. And you're listening to No Kidding. Me, me too. too. Our very amazing podcast Let's that we no started. Let's do No Kidding Me Too together. You okay. know, on three. One, two, three. No, no kidding. kidding. Me, me too. too. <laughs> At some point when we've been doing this for years, we'll finally get the opening, right? Um, but anyway, today we're talking to a wonderful comedian. Her name is Judy Gold. And, and I'm so excited to talk to her. She's e- oh, I just love her work. And she makes me laugh and she makes me smile and she makes me laugh at myself. Which is the most important thing that you can laugh at yourself. So let's get her on because I think she's already here. Hey, Judy. Hi. Hi. Judy, you're a Hudson County chick. Why am I Hudson County? Because you were born in Newark. Is that Hudson County? Uh, Joey, uh, Newark is in Essex County. It's the county seat of Essex County, Newark is. Oh, well, thank you, Robert. Now, can I talk to Judy? (laughs) Judy doesn't even know what fucking county was in. Uh, I was raised, we lived in Elizabeth and then we moved to Clark, which I fucking hated every, I hated it there. But I was just born in, I was just born in Newark. I wasn't, we didn't live there. What was it like growing up so close to the Hudson River? I have to be near water. Like I don't feel like, yeah, I, my brother lives in Arizona and I'm like, ew. Like I really feel like there emotionally i have to be near the water it's so it's just weird and an ocean you know not like a man-made pond or a lake i can't i feel the same way i live on a man-made pond now but i thought it was a lake for years (laughs) and i found out it wasn't (laughs) thank you for doing our 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 little show i love it I love family things (laughs) yeah and and we, we like talking about crazy yeah. And and management and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also career. Like, when did you know about that? If you said something funny, it made you feel good. Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. The the high you get from a la- getting making someone else laugh. I mean. In my family growing up, it, there was no physical affection. There was no mm-hmm. hugging, kissing, not even like, hey, how was your day? Like there was none of that. But if you said something clever or sarcastic, like really, you know, a sort of thinking person's kind of joke, you were, that was it. That was the ticket. Um, so, and it, it's also a coping mechanism. You know, my, I, I, what I'm really tall. <laughs> I was bullied so much. Um, and I think my sense of humor, I know my sense of humor is what, you know, got me through all of that. Uh, but making someone laugh is, I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, you know, if I go to a restaurant and I see like a table of people um, and there's a guy at the table, like a party, like an eight person party. And there's a guy telling a story and it's like, oh, and they all oh, you hear them all laugh. It's you look at the person and you see it's like a peacock. You know, it's like it's it's incredible. And I think that. It is such a powerful position to be in, and that's why and I think in this country we equate power with masculinity, and that's why people feel so threatened by, you know, funny women. Um, but it's a coping mechanism. It's definitely the best medicine, but it's also a weapon. That's the thing. Mm. Being able to make someone laugh is a weapon because you're disarming them. I was bullied a lot. I, I, uh, my, my first drug of choice was food. So by the time I was 11 or 12, I, I, I blew up. And so I got, I got the shit kicked out of me. I mean, I don't know what it is about Jersey. I don't, but (laughs) I, you know, that, that whole bullying just, why does that go on there? Well, because we're all immigrants, you know, it's like, you know, it's, you look at Hoboken First, you know, you know, the Protestants came and got rid of the Indians. Right. And the Europeans. And so Hoboken was Dutch and then it was Irish. 
So the Dutch treated the Irish like shit, and then the Italians showed up, and they treated the Italians like shit, and then the you know then the Puerto Ricans showed up, and everybody was you know kicking the shit out of the black people. You know, it's like there it, it was a unity there, and each block in Hoboken was a culture. So Monroe Street was all Italian, and and First Street was all Puerto Rican, and then in the project, I mean, the thing about the projects were it was very diverse, except. The only thing we had, we, I mean, the thing we had in common was we were all poor. Right. Honor was very valuable. That was the only value you had. Somebody was like, you know what? We could trust them. If you give, if you lend them a dollar, you're going to get it back. Right. And, and, uh, and if you don't get it back, it only cost you a buck to find out the guy was an asshole. Right. So I think that's what it is. And also, you know, look, it's a, it's a microcosm of, of what we're living through. It's still going on. I can't imagine. Um, that, you know, social media, because like, look, I could go home and go in my room and have my whole world there. But now these kids that get bullied, it's like 24 seven. It's torture, you know, and there's, you know, they don't use their imagination. I mean, we had we had all this time alone where we had to figure shit out. You had to figure shit out. Okay, what am I going to do? The like, I don't even think kids are bored anymore. They're not bored. They they don't even know what to do with boredom except pick up their fucking phone, you know, or make a video or. Yeah, it's it's a whole different world. Yeah, they're allergic to stillness. Do you have that off that fuck you? I'll show you, Gene. That I do. And that <laughs> and it's so funny. And my mother fought my battles, too, to the point where I just never told her anything anymore because she, you know, but. Yeah, I have and I don't know where it came from, but that has that is the thing that and and my humor has gotten me through all this. The oh yeah, you'll fucking see that sort of where does that come from? I've always wondered how I had the agency to be like, yeah, OK, we'll see you, motherfucker in my head, you know, um, and yet. There, there's so many kids who don't have that, who believe that that shit about them. And yeah, where I, I always wondered if is that you think that's a gene or do you think that's? I think it's environmental. You know, we like to say that all disease is environmental. Yeah, whether you're living in a cold town, you know, uh, or you know, so it's you know if it's physical or emotional. Right. But the environment is, is in my life was that I've investigated it with myself. And I think I always felt like a coward because I didn't stand up for myself. So I used humor to get myself out of tight situations, you know, to ingratiate the bully, uh, you know, to, to be a surf for the bully or a jester for the bully. But the, dark side of me was I'll show them. Yes. I'll show them I'm not a piece of shit when I'm famous. And and you know the metaphor I always use was when I got inside my mother's black and white television, 12 inch television yes, screen. Yes. You know, there's just, I saw people like Lou Costello that, well, I could do if he's there or, or Harpo Marx. I mean, you know, I, I went to acting school and they were saying that James Dean and and Marlon Brando were their heroes. But for me, it was it was Harpo Marx and Lou Costello. I wanted to be like them. That's so that, that is so me. I mean, I wanted to run away to the Brady Bunch house, the Partridge family house. I wanted to live with Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, I, I just it that and that's why representation is so important. You know, when I saw Joan Rivers and Toadie Fields and I was like, wow, you know, Joan had such a profound effect on me because she was saying all this shit that no one. And I was like, I'm going to do that. You know, it's just one person who you f- feel represented by that can help you get through the shit that you're dealing with. But it's so true. I thought the exact same thing. You fucking wait. You're going to fucking pay to to say something nasty to me, you know? Yeah. I think that's why I, I was so good at playing, you know, villains. Yeah. Is is I could be, I could be everything that I wasn't in life. I always felt mm-hmm. like the, you know, cowardly lion. But, you know, between action and cut, I was able 
to be what I wanted to be in, in that, that moment. moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because therapy later on, I've been in therapy since I'm 18 years old, but um, one of my therapists, you know, my mother always said, Judith, ignore them. Do make believe they don't even exist. And, I, you know, we didn't have headphones. We didn't have anything. It was all in your mat. Like I had to fake that I wasn't hearing Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Orca, I'm going to fucking kill you, whatever. Um, every time I walked down the hall and I would, you know, I do this thing where I'd be like, oh, I forgot something in the and I'd walk away or whatever. And. So I ignored them, but inside my head, I was like, you fucking motherfucker, you short piece of shit, fuck it. You know, like, oh, look at your fucking hair, whatever. Um, and my therapist said it was the wrong advice for me to ignore them, that I should have stuck up for myself. And I'm like, well, you know, but I'm good at making believe I don't see someone or, you know, that's my good skill or that something does. Like, you have to admit when you go on a uh, step and repeat, like a step and repeat in show business where you're standing there with all the photographers and some big fucking star is before you and then it's your turn. And you're, and I'm always like, oh God, no, please don't embarrass me. Cause you'll hear one photographer be like, what's her name? And why, you know, who's, and it's just like, you fucking, it's like you go back there. Like that you're humili- the humiliation but I think all that humiliation made me a great comic because you can't say anything to me I haven't heard before. I've been there, done that. Like, I don't fucking give a shit what you think. I'm scratching my head because you chose a profession that is wrapped with humiliation. Right. You go out there you know, on a, on a, you know, in a dark room with a light on you with all of these strangers. And it's like, OK, be funny. Right? That's my favorite kind of audience, too. <laughs> the audience, when the comic before me gets off and is like, they suck. I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my God. But I feel like it's because I, I'm going to control the laughter. You're not going to fucking control. You know, like, I'll mm. tell you what you're going to laugh at. You know, there's a power in that. Oh, beyond. And it's just when you get in a rhythm, you know, because really every audience laughs differently. So it's like. Mm-hmm. You, you decide in the very beginning when you're going to start your next joke, like what the rhythm is of that that audience, or you decide uh, if you're going to do a tagline or whatever, you know, all depending on how that audience is reacting. And it's just, it's a, it's fun. It's like, so once you get in that rhythm and it's like, okay, yeah, and it's so musical, um, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It's like you're conducting an orchestra. You know, where and when and, and what what age? So I was at Rutgers and. Um, what campus? Uh, New Brunswick, uh-huh. Rutgers College. And uh, my parents wouldn't let us go anywhere else because it was twenty five hundred dollars a semester. OK, um, wait, twenty five hundred dollars a semester. That's it. Yeah, that's how much it was oh for an in. <laughs> In an, uh, a resident of New Jersey, 25, in 1980. Okay. Wow. I think now, I don't know what it is now, but it's definitely not 25,000. Yeah. Oh, that's why I didn't want my kids. That's why I told my kids they couldn't go to college. Yeah. That's a good idea. That was good. Um, okay. So there was this thing called, uh, we did secret Santas in our, um, on our dorm floor and our secret Santa was, went on for a week and it was like, you would get a note on your door, whoever your secret Santa was, and they would make you do something. And I remember one year I had to crawl everywhere when I was on the floor. The only places I could stand up were in my room and the bathroom. And I, I had to go to the fucking infirmary cause I couldn't move my neck. Um, <laughs> there was one girl who had to walk around with an apple on her head all day. I mean, it's like just ridiculous shit. That's like fun. Yeah, so my secret Santa, and every night there was like a, a show in the lobby, like at 11 o'clock. There was one girl I remember she had to sing Rain on Me and let everyone pour buckets of water on her every time she got to the, you know, <laughs> the chorus. And so I get this note from my secret Santa uh, to do 10 minutes of stand up comedy and use use the people who live on the floor as my material. And it was like Ooh. I had it was like God had spoken to me. I mean, it was, I took that so seriously wow. and I went 
out in the lobby that night and I took the day off. I, I wrote jokes for two days about everyone who lived on the floor. And I remember I stood there. I'll never forget it. I'm standing in the lobby. I'm so fucking nervous. I do my first joke. I get my first laugh. It was like an out of body experience. It was, I can't even, I can't, I, I don't even know what to say. It was the most incredible feeling. It was like, oh my God, this is what I meant to do. You know, like so many people die not knowing or never having that feeling, you know? Um, and that was it that I, I went and they had a, uh, they had this thing they were doing called campus comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I auditioned or something to do five minutes. And I don't know if you know, Joey, any of these guys, but it was Bill Sheft, who was the head writer for Letterman. Um, Adrian Tolsh, rest in peace. She was, uh, she was an amazing uh, standup, but she also ran Catch a Rising Stars, uh, open mic night on Mondays, She all the new talent. And Larry Amoros, who's like the most amazing, was written for everyone, like Joan and everyone. And so they were doing this thing for Catch a Rising Star called Campus Comedy. And I did five minutes and I'll never forget. They, I was again, so nervous. It was in like the student center and they, these three professional comedians said, you're really funny. And like, that was when I knew I was funny. And someone that night uh, said to my mother, you know, I met Don Rickles mother and now I met Judy Gold's mother. So, and I mean, I had only, I was 19 years old. I had no idea. And I started going to catch a rising star um, because Adrian had said, come and, you know, I'll put you on, which means you'll stand there till three in the morning and maybe you'll get on and may, and you'll probably just come back next week and try to do, get on. You know, you really had to pay your fucking dues, but there were different parts of the story where, you know, like I would get on maybe at two or three in the morning and the band would laugh. The people that were there all, that's how you knew you know, you were funny. The the wait staff would laugh. These people who've seen it all or were fucking sick of it. It was the end of the night. And, you know, that's what kept me going. You know, it's amazing the power of, of someone, you know, making someone. La- I mean, now for me, I have to say the assault on comedy that is what's that it, to me is sad. Like I, it was horrible. I'm angry, but I'm also like, they can't win these people. It's like when you take, first of all, a comedian, their goal when they get on stage is to make you laugh. That's it. And when you take intent, context, and nuance out of that, like what is the comedian trying to say? What what? You know, and you take that away and just hear a word and decide, okay, that's it. I can't know. Nope. I heard that word and not no context. You know, this is the end of, of free speech. And it's so upsetting. Like I am now in front of audiences where you tell a joke and they immediately laugh and then they go, oh, right. Not supposed to laugh at that. It's like, no. That's the one place you can't like, that's supposed to be a safe place. Like, yes, you might say something fucked up and wrong, but like, that's kind of the comedian's job too. Right. Like, like you guys take a lot of shit. Right. And you're supposed to learn for, from it. Like, you know, the whole cancel culture thing is so toxic because you can't just say you did something bad. You're done. Well, how am I supposed to learn then? I did something bad. Now I'm severely punished in my room, locked away. So I I don't want to try to fix it because you didn't give me the chance. So now I'm mad at you. Like, and I just, I don't know how. I don't understand. Do this it. is what, there's some things I don't understand. Number one, a comedian, first of all, it's the only art form where you need an audience for a work in progress. The audience gives you information. So you bring your shit in front of the audience and you're trying to work out your set. Like this is your home. You're trying to figure this out. And then they vilify you because you went too far or went over the line. We don't know where the line is until we've crossed it 99.9% of the time. And then it's like, you know, a painter, a painter doesn't paint a mural 
like a third of the way and then invite people over and say, hey, do you think I should put the sun here and the tree here? No. So we're getting vilified for doing our job. And then this whole idea, like we were talking about bullying, you know, look, it sucked, but I have a hard exterior. Like I get it. These people who are offended by every fucking little, and it's all about me. No one, no comic was thinking about you when they wrote their joke. The world doesn't fucking revolve around you. There is no safe space. Okay. Why are they paying two drink minimum to sit in the dark? I mean, are they going there just to judge people? Are they going there to look, you know, wait for the chink in the armor? Okay. There's one. It's so infuriating. And it's also, you know, this is, I think it's, it's our culture though. Too. It's about, it's, it, it's about destruction. It's not about cancel. It's about to destroy one's livelihood. And also it's an act. It's called an act, you know? And, and if you're not funny, that's one thing, you know, if it's not funny, you know, if you go up there and you're doing six minutes and three, three minutes are, you know, side splitting. That was a good set, wasn't right. it? Right. Yeah. It's like, all right, I got to work on those other three minutes. But or don't fucking. Them. Right. Yeah. That's it. You're like, OK, I got three minutes, which is a long period of time. And these people in the audience, they could fucking do it. So shut the fuck up. You know, it's so. Yeah. I also feel like. And I don't maybe I don't know how to say it, but like I feel like comics should be saying wrong things because Again, that's how we learn. Right. Like you guys are the only ones I always thought that could say the things you shouldn't say. Like I always thought that about my dad. Like he can say things. And I'm like, dad, you shouldn't say that. But people laugh and it's maybe they know it's wrong, but I don't know how to say. Well, it's like Joan Rivers. That was her whole yeah. mantra was like, I say what everyone is thinking, but afraid to say. And that's yeah. what a great comic does. And just think about a great joke. Uh, makes you think and makes you laugh. Yeah. And when you look, George Floyd was murdered and the number seven download the following week was a Richard Pryor bit about the cops, you know, on Spotify. I mean, it is a healing property in a way that, oh, I got to hear this because this is the fucking truth. He's saying what I'm thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it, like you see the world through that comedian's eyes. Like if you have a disabled comic on stage who's talking about what it's like making jokes about, oh, I'm a di- um, disability. I have this disability. Oh, this person thinks that and that. And then I went here and this happened. The next time that audience member sees someone with that disability, they're like oh, comfortable with it. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw that comic. And, you know, it really can change your viewpoint. And and that's the power it's a unifier. It is a unifier. It definitely unites us. And you could be in a comedy club and you're laughing at a comic and you don't even know you hate the people at the table next to you. You hate everything about them, but you're both laughing at yeah. this comic. It brings, it brings you together. And, and that's goes back to that motherfucker, you know, like that's why he ripped us apart. He was at the right place at the right time. This whole reality television bullshit. You know, Joey, you know, that is so, you're days. so right. If you <laughs> think, you know, I, I write in my book about, you know, um, you know, Howard Stern is getting fined and fined and fined. And yet these kids are going home from school and looking at Morton Downey Jr. and people beating the shit out of each other. on t- And that's fine. But Howard Stern does a fucking fart joke on the radio and he gets fined. If you think that behavior uh, from the Morton Downey Juniors and the Jerry Springers and all those didn't create this fucking monster. But it's also it's putting all those people that are behaving in the wrong way that are disrespectful on a pedestal. And that's why I was always like from day one, like the Jersey Shore and the the my go to example is the honey boo boo. She's a child. And she is misbehaving and she's acting horribly and her mom is awful and you give them a show and like a million people following them. Look how it's sort of like, look, we're normal. Look how great we are. Right. You watch and you're like, thank God that's not me. Look, we're we're so much better than this. Look at this like low life shit. And it made it OK. It, you know, and it did had the opposite effect. 
It made it okay to behave like that. Let's see more of this. Let's see more of dumb people behaving badly. You know? You know, I've never watched a reality show ever, ever, ever. And I, I you know, I thought it was a fad. It wouldn't last. Um, and uh, I read that the, the Kardashians is, is finishing its 20th season. And because uh, Prince Philip died recently, I thought, you know, in a lot of ways, they represent royalty for we Americans that, you know, Absolutely. we, we want to find somebody to build up as a, as a mirrored image of ourselves and our culture. And then we try to find the chink in the armor so that we can tear them down. Right. Uh, and get, and they get their comeuppance, right? They get their comeuppance. Now it's so mean and it's, it's become a cultural thing. So let's be mean because they, you know, they're doing it on TV and, and, and that, and, and it's being embraced and, uh, and, and it's devoid of any humor whatsoever. There's no humor mm -hmm. anymore. You know, so when somebody says, oh, I was just making a joke. I was just making a joke. But yeah, that whole, oh, I was just kidding. Cheapens what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't call that a fucking joke. You can't call everything a joke. It's not a fucking joke, you know? And you know why it's not? Because I didn't laugh. Right. It's not fucking funny, asshole. Yeah. yeah. How do you think all of that, everything we just talked about, impacts people's mental health? Because, well, I feel like, you know, this whole, it's so, you know, laughter is so important. I remember when I, after, like in June, I did a show last June. Yeah, a, a, it was my first out, like show in front of an audience. It was at a drive-in movie theater. I'm standing on the back of a flatbed truck. They're in their cars. They can't laugh. You can't hear them. So they're flashing their <sighs> headlights, you know? That's awesome. And it, it was fucking great because it was a challenge. I mean, yeah, I just cool. wanted to be there. I wanted to talk at a microphone, you know? And then in the summer, they did some outdoor shows and I got to do shows twice a week. And I can't, these audiences who had been, you know, locked up since March, it's July, August, September. They, they were like, first of all, they were so thankful to laugh. They're like, this is, this isn't, I feel normal again. I feel like it is so you realize, and I hope that, you know, some comics are saying, oh, there's going to be a comedy boom now because of what we've been through. But, and I hope there is, but not of, uh, the, the, you know, uh, be, us being attacked again. And is there a certain type of comedy that's going to be, you know, um, in vogue? You know, it, it's, but I have to say, and I went back to the clubs a couple of weeks ago when they opened, it's, people are really bereft of humor and, and silliness. Like that's the thing. It's been so fucking dark and heavy. Like, let's just be silly and laugh at yourself. And oh my God, stop taking yourself so fucking seriously. And I think it's definitely, I, you know, some comics say that people, the audiences are way more drunk, I think, you know, mm -hmm. um, since the pandemic. I noticed that they're younger, especially at the later shows. I don't think a lot of people over 60 or, you know, feel safe to go out. Mm -hmm. So I'm dealing with audiences that are young and very um, can't say this, can't say that. Oh, everything's wrong. Um, politically correct bullshit. But uh, I don't know. I think that people... I do. I think people need to laugh. But then again, you look at the like Joey was saying, you look at the shit on TV that they watch, that they're gravitated to. And, and, and they and that and the reason why it stays on television is it's they're making money. They're selling soap. And these, you know, so this this began like 30 years ago on court TV. Court TV was this new channel. And I remember. Yeah. And then they decided when they when they did these little mini docs, their numbers were going up. So they, they found graver and graver and more murder and more murder. And, and the numbers went through the roof and they said, ah, you know, this is a, a franchise. 
it's, and cheap. it's cheap. Yeah, there's no legal, you know, it's it's public record, so you can reenact, you can do all the reenactments. You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that when I'm president, the first thing I'm going to do <laughs> is, is take away oh, the no. trophies so that there's only one winner. Oh, my God. You know, I say this a lot in interviews. The fact that we have reduced ourselves to like, you know, you get a trophy for winning the race and breaking the record and you get a trophy for smiling while he did it. No, that is what is wrong with this fucking country. You are not valid as valid as that person. You know, everyone has a soapbox now. No, we we did this that everyone gets a fucking trophy to ourselves. We did the Yeah, that's not yeah. real life. It's not real life. And now they spend corporations spend hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, uh, to figure out how to um, tell the kid who was an intern, you know, thank you for delivering my coffee. Fuck you. That's your job. You don't get you know, it's like I used to work with directors when I was a kid. You never say nice things about my work. I pay you to be good. I'm only going to talk to you when you suck. You know, when I need to make mm. an adjustment, that's when I talk to you. And Can I, you imagine? I get that. I, I get it. HR. I was, I felt abused. He never said. <laughs> There's a difference for me. It was always like, cause I think we've talked about this dad when like, you know, or I've heard people say, oh, the millennials, they're so sensitive at work and blah, 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 this and that. And to me, it was always like, it's, it's not that necessarily we're sensitive. It's that we see the behavior and we think that it's wrong. I personally don't think it's okay for me to go to work and do my job and get verbally abused for it. If I'm doing something wrong, tell me, but don't call me a dumbass. you know, say, you know, I, you fucked up kid, you know, do better. Don't berate me. So there's a, I do agree. Can that- they, what about, can they say, uh, God damn it, Danny, you fucked up. Yes. Because it pisses yes. me off that you fucked up. Yes, you can be angry. It it now it's now we've focused on the goddamn it you fucked up instead of the fact that the person fucked up. It's like, so oh, you said it wrong. That's okay. that's the thing. I think that that's okay. I think when I think you can be angry that I fucked up. I think you can say, God damn it, you fucked up. Like, you know, if you call me an idiot in that moment. I'll get sad that you called me an idiot. Me personally, like that would just, I would oh, cry, 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 cry. I get that you're angry though. And in that moment, so maybe after I fucked up and after I fixed the mistake, maybe then you say, listen, I was upset. You made a big mistake. I'm sorry. I called you an idiot, but let's be better. That's okay. Right. But you know, my son plays balance. basketball. He plays division one basketball and through all his coaches, they've all been different through his life. But, you know, there are coaches that are like, what are you fucking retarded? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what, what the fuck was that? Why don't you go? You want to play basketball? And like, they just are just. And then after mm-hmm. the game, hugging and kissing and, yeah. you know, and I, it took me a while to be like, wait, is he allowed to say that? And and my son's like, oh, who fucking cares? You know, it was the heat of the, you know, and. I think that's also, I think it also has to be like agreed upon. Like that group agrees that that's okay. And that if that works for everyone there and they're all good with it, then that, who cares? Who cares if the person sitting in the stands is like, they shouldn't talk to them like that. Well, they're okay with it. And they're that's winning. how that team functions. And they're winning. You know, you're not allowed to say retarded. So they're they're saying all the wrong words, um, which, of course, someone will take a clip from this and say, Judy said, oh, what are you like? They'll take it out of context and be like, Judy Gold said retarded and she hates disabled people or mentally, you know, like that's exactly we just want to we just want to fucking bring each other down. Retarded, you know, where, where, you know, where they eat, they say, oh, so retarded that, you know, if it, it was, you know, we would get a laugh. It was almost a compliment when people, oh, Joey, you're so retarded. You know, it was like, oh, they like me because, you, you know, when you describe those coaches, that was my mother. That's what I grew up with. And uh, and I always and I and, and and possibly the reason why I get away with stuff or I did. You know, you know, my wife has me locked in the closet now because she's afraid they're going to take the keys to the house the minute I open my mouth. Um, but it's like, 
I, I would, you know, I would say stuff and they'd say, only Joey could get away with that shit. And I'm not a comic. I don't, you know, I'm going to say same with me. It's like, how do you get away with that? It's like, because you know where it's coming from. I don't, I'm not, you know, exactly who I am. I think it's because we were bullied. I think that we have a real think, sensitivity yeah. to human nature. Right. And, 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 and at, in a moment's notice, we can size them up and know how to, um, lower the temperature. I think. Right. Oh, I totally agree. You, Joey, you got to get this book. I don't know. You might have read it. The Coddling of the American Mind, because mm. it that when they asked me to write my book, they said you should read this. It, and it's really about exactly what you were saying with the what we've done to these kids with their everyone gets a trophy bullshit, you know? Yeah. Coddle, coddle, coddle. It's like, yeah, I didn't want to be bullied. I didn't want to feel like humiliated every fucking day of my life, but it made me who I am. You know, it it made me more sensitive to an, an empath in a way, you mm -hmm. know. And so and these kids will never they think their feelings are the most important thing. Like the, uh, I say in the book, like the first quote is from my friend Eddie, who says, if going to a comedy club and getting upset that you got offended is like going on a roller coaster and getting upset that you got scared. I mean, like, it's what you do with it. It's like, oh, that I didn't like that joke. Then move on with your fucking life. Like when you hear one of your yeah. favorite bands sing a new song and you're like, oh, I don't like that song. Did you then say they should never fuck them? I'm never listening to them again. No, but that's what happens with, with comedians. Uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. How, how do you feel about the, uh, the show that Chappelle did, uh, the HBO thing with the LBGQ Oh, I love I was that was fucking hilarious. I thought it was brilliant. It was it, so it was, fucking funny with the window and had, in the car and all, oh. in the car. That was so, I mean, <laughs> so good. Fucking. But, yeah. But so many people are mad. You'll get mad. Right. It's I'm nobody OK. Wants to be, nobody I'm wants OK. It's fucking it's hilarious. It's a joke. You fucking assholes, you know, and, and the whole thing about humor is it enables us to laugh at ourselves. Right. Right. It's like Bill Burr. It yeah. was so interesting when Bill Burr hosted SNL and everyone was on his case. And I had someone write to me and say, you know, I realized that I would have been really pissed off at him, but I read your book and now I get what he was saying, you know, and he does this whole thing about, you know, that Black History Month is the shortest month of the year, which is Paul Mooney's joke. But then he goes further and it's like, and it's the shittiest month. It's like the <laughs> shitty weather and blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on about get, the gays get June. How did this happen? The gays get, it's it's long, the weather's perfect. And I thought it was, you know, this is exact. oh, he's making fun. No, he's not. He's not no, making fun. No. And it's true. By the end of June, I'm like, all right, enough with the fucking gay pride shit. You know, it's enough already, but. <laughs> But they it's like they're looking for something. It's like mm -hmm. that's what they're looking for. And and I think in when you talk about mental health, like you're looking for something to be pissed off at instead of just looking at just eh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm just going to relax and, and laugh and move on with my life. See, what I've always, always been searching for was peace of mind. Yes. Oh, yes. I just wanted to feel comfortable in my own skin. I learned that was the, the, the phrase, that phrase I learned in the 12 step program, you know, and, and when I, when I got into recovery after the addiction of alcohol and sex and food, uh, you know, what I call my 12, uh, my, my seven deadly symptoms, you know, that um, I ultimately was like, you know, Vicodin took care of everything. Cause did uh, I was in control. I wasn't drunk. It, it curbed my appetite because of my eating disorder. So it was it was the answer to all my problems. But the, the idea of of changing everything and, and going into a 12 step program. And I had a sponsor because I was I was mentally I, I was clinically depressed. I had a disease. And he said, look, call it alcoholism. Just call it that so you can get into the room. 
And and so I'm in the room and I'm there for a long time and I'm learning because I'm hearing other people's stories. Right. But I kept hearing that it was, you know, that alcoholism was 10% drinking and 90% thinking. But everybody wanted to label themselves as an alcoholic instead of emotionally diseased, distressed, you know, twisted a little bit. You know, it comes and goes. Right. And so, so you know, ultimately... I couldn't fit in that room anymore. And I tried, I tried emotional, emotion anonymous, but everybody was so goddamn passive in that because they couldn't have emotions. So I kept looking at, because there's 66 of these 12 step programs for all, you know, and it's not a disorder. It's who I am. I don't have a disorder. This is me. I just thought the other day, I was like, there should be a creatives anonymous. Like, we should just like, why don't like, why don't a bunch of comedians just sit in a room or like comedians and actors and just be like, man, today fucking sucked. And just talk about, just talk about it. Cause I think, yeah, it's true. It's like, I, I had a very bad clinical depression, which I feel like, you know, you have these befores and afters of your life. And then that was a major, that, did that happen after you were successful? Yes. Aha. I know what it is. Keep going. I'll tell you. Um, it was sort of the perfect storm. Like I, I had just done my second uh, off this show that I had done at, at theater J in Washington, DC. And it was really about my, my addiction to sitcoms um, and how I thought I'd grow up and be, you know, I really thought I was going to grow up and be on a sitcom, but, uh, and how these sitcoms like helped me through, you know, my childhood, whatever. And so and I feel like the retelling, the intimate retelling of my life sort of triggered something. Uh, also, my mother was, I had to put my mother in a nursing home. And then I realized the person who was doing my bills, I was in debt, which I had never been in debt. It was like a whole perfect storm. And it was a physical, I couldn't talk. It was, I had diurnal depression, which is, all day, I could not function. Once the sun went down, I felt it lift a little. Um, but it was, I couldn't even talk. Like, if you had said, go to the corner and get a carton of milk, I was like, be like, I can't, I can't. I mean, me, who's traveled all over the country by myself, you know, since I'm in my 20s, like, just trying to get gigs and whatever. It doesn't, it was... It was hell, but I've all, I realized after that depression that I've always had major anxiety all day long. I wake up, I'm like, oh, and then I have to do all these, this head shit to be like, okay, calm down. You're going to get up. You're going to go to the bathroom. You're going to brush your teeth. And then just boo, 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 you know, but it's like, at night, I still feel that when the sun goes down, like, okay, I made it. I made it through. And there are comics who I reach out to who I know suffer from depression where I'm like having a bad day and it's like, oh, you'll get through this. But you're right. It's like, I just want peace of mind. I just want to not think. I want to be like, I remember this friend of mine <laughs> had this boyfriend. He was a writer and the boyfriend just was not the ambitious at all. And we would get up in the morning when I would stay with them when I was in LA and, and my friend Bob would get up at like, you know, six and be writing all, you know, and I'd get up around eight or nine and, and there's the boyfriend. He's sitting on the couch, looking through a magazine, having his coffee. He's going to go to his catering job later. And I was like, what does that feel like? <laughs> what does that feel like to sit there and be okay with looking through a magazine? and having your coffee and not being like, okay, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna create? You have the work to do. You know, like what, what is, I, that's what I want. I, yeah, I, same thing, same here. I'd love to know what it feels like. It's um, like, be, wait, what were you gonna say about my depression? Oh, when I asked you, I was projecting a little. Uh, when I asked you, was it after you became successful? Because I thought, it, you know, talking about those seven symptoms of mine. So I thought that once I, you know, that my dreams came true, that, uh, that the, that this feeling in the pit of my soul would, would go away, not intellectually, uh, subconsciously that, that if I succeeded, if those dreams came true, that this feeling would no longer exist. So the more of uh, that I got, uh, the feeling kept, you know, 
kept living in there. And that's, you know, I was, I was 26, 27 when I, you know, turned to alcohol, you know, the, so they, they would, they would technically call me a periodic drunk because I, you know, it was only, I would only drink, uh, to get, you know, to, to alleviate the depression, uh, or, or running, jogging. I, I ran and ran. That's the same. That's what I did. I, I ran the marathon. I would run for like an hour, two hours, two and a half hours. Yeah, so it's a, to build that dopamine level back up. I must have missed the gig because I was like, there was a snowstorm coming and I had to drive from like Connecticut to New Hampshire or something. And I remember they're like, Lee, you know, you better leave now. And I was like, I have to run. I have to run six miles today. I have to run six miles. And, you know, I missed the gig. I missed the gig. The snow came and I had to stay at my cousin's for the weekend. But that's fantastic. Yeah, that addiction. But it's like, what does it feel like to just be dumb? It, you know, ignorance is bliss. And I and I had that for like 30 years. I had it. In my case, it was all of the trauma and abuse. Right. That I experienced in my adolescent years. Uh, and, you know, and I, God bless her. My mom had a lot to do with that because she she gave me the family jewels was was her misery and an emotional deformity. God bless her, because she was victimized by an alcoholic, brutal, nasty blood bucket father that had his way with her and oh. her sister and his sister. You know, my mom was born in 1915, so it's like you just took what you wanted. Right. And she hated, she despised men. So she, every man that she ever loved, she was she brutalized them. And I was her companion. To this day, I'm surprised I don't walk around in leotards with a needle in my arm because I was her guy. And she would say, the best, my mom would say, the best man in the world ain't good enough for the worst hua. And uh, and then and then she found one hair on my balls, and that was it. I was one of them, right? You know, it you know misery that my doctor once said that it was that familiar misery versus the unfamiliar happiness, right? And right. that that misery was the only thing that ever felt real to me, except between action and cut. You know, so, I, you know, the idea, the doctor said that I was sublimating, I'd had to look that up, but I was sublimating all my emotional pain through the characters I was playing. And so like a pressure cooker, I was relieving, somehow relieving the emotional pain. Right. And, and, and Danny, you know, it was Danny's idea to start these talks because, you know, we all have that. I mean, I, 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 I've, I've given Danny some of that historic family pain I, you know I've, I've i've gifted it to her and i've gifted it to my other children but luckily we had nancy who who you're describing that's my wife nancy that just is happy and 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 molding i mean she was a you know she was a very successful runway model but she like loves her wrinkles and she loves her sagging neck and she loves, you know, it's like, fuck that. You know, that was then this is now that's acceptance. You yeah. know, that would be nice too. I I'd also like to not take a multiple amount of antidepressants every day. You know, <laughs> it, it's like, I have to think about, I think about my mental health so much, you know, if I do this, that is going to affect my, you know, like it has, it's, I'm some, it's something I'm very conscious of. I haven't had enough sun. I need to go for a walk. Um, do, do you not run anymore? Do you have bad knees? Or? I had a knee, total knee replacement and then mm -hmm. I have to get the other one, but we play tennis and stuff and hike, but you know, there's nothing like that endorphin from running. Do you have, do you have the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, iPhone watch? Yes. Yeah. The, I have a Fitbit. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking to my watch over the last few days because I go for these long walks, but if my heart's not at a beating rate, it doesn't count as exercise. So yesterday I took an hour and a half walk. I walked three miles and it said that it worked out for 15 minutes. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I'm sick of it. I'm getting a Fitbit. That's it.
Yeah, and the sleep score. It's like fuck you. <laughs> well, my I'm I'm over my sleep score. I'm in the 140s. You are not. Yeah, because that's all I do is sleep. I I endure the fucking day so I can go to sleep at night. Oh fuck mm-hmm. it, fuck it. I can't. I'm just like. We have fights over the sleep score here in this house. <laughs> it's like a fucking competition. What'd you get? What'd you get? I'm like, shut the fuck up. Okay. <laughs> Shitty. I got shit. <laughs> I don't even know about the sleep score. I would get a really good one. They tell you how many minutes you're in REM, how many minutes you're in That's light right. sleep. It's, it's, it's got to get it. It's I hit app, my REM Danny. sleep in like three minutes. But it's also like, I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel good. And then I look at my my watch and I'm like, no, I don't. It's like, no, why can't I just trust how I feel? Why do I have to look at the fucking score? Are you feeling pretty good these days? You know, Joseph, I am writing on a TV show, which I love. What show? Better Things on FX, Pamela Adlon. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'm doing that, which, you know, the work really helps me emotionally. I'm going back to the you know, the club's open. So that's good. I mean, that's the be- greatest thing about being a comedian versus an actor. It's like a lot of actors wait around to get parts or do a reading or something. And I could get on stage, you know, every night and do a set. Um, but, you know, I'm at this point where it's like, I'm sick of not knowing, like the thing about show business is the greatest thing. And the worst thing is that, you just don't know tomorrow your life could change, you know, and you live for that. Oh, this is, this could happen. This could still happen. This could still happen. And I, I'm kind of sick of it. I just want to sort of know, okay, I'm going to be doing this for the next couple of years. And then I'm going to be doing that for the next, you know, and it's just this uncertainty, but that show business, it's always been that way. Shakespeare felt that way. I think that's why we, fared well in the pandemic. I think actors and people who live in have precarious jobs were able to, you know, use those skills, those coping skills that we use through this pandemic of not knowing what the fuck was going on. We were used to that. So I think we had better coping mechanisms. Well, in my case, I'm just talking about me. I was reassured because I knew everybody was out of work. So there was nobody to be jealous of. <laughs> so I wasn't jealous of anybody because they were all fucking miserable like me. We were all out of work. Uh, and now that it, it, it's picking up again, I'm starting to get jealous. Right. Same. I've had an amazing life. I, I've been incredibly lucky, really incredibly lucky. I got more than I deserved. I got more than I expected. And the sadness is, is that I want more. You know, I'm I'm going to be 70 in September, but I want more. Yeah, you're never you're never satisfied. Yeah, yeah. that's what makes you great at what you do. I was watching um, your documentary Hysterical last night, and actually, a couple things, Dad. I don't know if you watched it yet. You have to watch it because one of the comedians says, you know, to fill the hole in her in her gut and her heart. You know, she tells the jokes, she tells the jokes. And then she was like, kind of never want that hole to be filled because then what? Right. You know, then someone else is like, okay, I get to be content and happy. Then what? Yeah. And, And we've talked about before, like our goal here is not to be happy. It's just to like be comfortable being unhappy. And and it's the, you know, we, we did a show with the anxiety sisters. I don't know if you've ever listened to them, but they're so smart and they talk about this wave. It's not, it's just ride the wave, right? Just learning how to ride the wave. And if it knocks you down, okay, hold your breath and then you'll get back up. Like, what does that feel like? What does that peace of mind feel like? And you know, my mind is always, and I, I sit on the couch and I watch TV all day because I, quiets my mind. Cause if I'm not doing something else and if there's nothing else to do, I'll just dig myself into a hole. Right. But I'm trying to just be like, okay, just, okay. Okay. Just be, just be, it's fine. Okay. Right now that's fine. Then get up and, and go do something else. Let's just try to do something else. That whole idea of the hole. It's like, it's like when you, with comedians, there's there are comedians and and they get really successful and start believing everything. And then people are like that person's not funny anymore, you know, and I, I, that's happened with a lot of comics where they were really great. And then all of a sudden. 
they're, you know, they get very successful and they're not funny anymore because they believe that shit. Um, and like, that's why Andy Kaufman would go and become a cab driver for a month or so, do something to be in the world. So he never lost that, that knowledge of, you know, being like everyone else, you know, there's nothing like a pompous fuck ass comic, you know, who's like, he was the Marlon Brando method, method comedian. The influence that television has on us, just like radio had on, on the world, you know, you know, it just, and now I, I, I said television, but I'm wrong. It's really, it's the internet. It's, it's, it's these screens, the influence and, and the kind of information that we can choose to validate ourselves. There's a book I read called, you're not as smart as you think, you know, cause the algorithms know how to pick us and, and give us what we need to be validated. It's all mind fuck. The idea of showing people, you know, listeners, showing the listeners that we are as flawed as you are. And if you have ambition, you know, embrace, embrace your flaws. Right. And, and share them with the world. You know, and I think that's that's why we're lucky to still have empathy in our hearts. Right. Mm-hmm. Without that, you have nothing. I think that's a really good place to end it. We've been talking for a while. I like it. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Judy, thank you for talking to us. Oh, my God. I I'm loved so it. Glad, I'm so glad thank to meet you. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Oh, it was so nice to meet you guys. I hope we can work together at some point. I'm available. <laughs> I can be your hot six foot two wife. Who's not hot? Okay. I love you. Let's do it. You're hot. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, baby. You're hot. If you want to be hot, you're hot. Done. That's right. right, Thank you you so much. Give Give your family a kiss and a hug. I will. But yeah, that was amazing. Um, I think comedians are the smartest people in the world. And well, like, she, you know, it's like uh, every time I talk to somebody as interesting as Judy, and we've talked to a lot of interesting people like writers and actors and, you know, creators, uh, I think, well, Danny should write more. And now that we talked to Judy, I think Danny should do stand up only because it would scare the shit out of you. I it think w- you, it would. It I you and mom always say, you know, oh, you're so funny. You should be on SNL. And I never understood why you guys said that. And I, it's terrifying because I don't think I'm smart enough to be a comedian. I always thought that they had to be so smart because they have to observe. No, in the old days they wouldn't even write their own jokes. What you need to be a comedian is timing, and you've got timing. I don't know. I I struggle with believing in myself as much as others believe in me. That is something I struggle with. You know, uh, write write some stuff about uh, roasting your family members. But that's the other thing. That's the other thing. About, I'm terrified that I'll say something that'll hurt someone I love. Like so hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. Which is funny because of what we just talked about, but not like a stranger's feelings. Like I'm, I'm even when I write like, you know, uh, this pilot that I'm trying to write, like it's based off characters. I know it's like, oh, what if I, you know, bring up my friend's relationship with her, her boyfriend and, and yeah, what do if it. they're like, do, do it, wha- do it wha- and be judgmental. I know I, know I should it. just do just, it. And then you change their names. And when they say that's fucking me, you say, no, it wasn't. Absolutely. <laughs> No. Or be like, yeah, and do you see why it was so fucked up now? Uh, you <laughs> see why it. you should have listened to me? No, I think comedians are so important. And I think with the things that we talked about, it's it'll be, you know, conversations people have forever, you know, because there's you have to find that balance of like where where that line is and like what she said we don't know where the line is until we cross it and that's why like cancel culture i think is so toxic like you just have to we're all freaking learning like just give us a break things have been so one way for so long that now everything is changing and we're learning we're gonna fuck up my dad and i are gonna say something on this show that people are gonna hate us for tell us so we can be aware of it and fix it and apologize and change. No, we don't have to apologize. They, they can disagree with us. You know? Well, I'm saying if we really fuck up. But like, you know, but you should. You should always respect how, what other 
people are saying, whether or not you agree, but it's all about respect for me. I think it's just all about respect. I do think also people can be too sensitive to things. Yeah, well, and I was I was born in the fifties, and uh, you know I ate lead paint. Uh, I, I know I, I'm very a different, different generation. generation. Different generation. Yes. You know, if somebody's breaking my balls and ragging on me, that that only meant that they liked me. Yeah, and so it's like all these different people and different ways of feelings. It's like how do we all exist? Well, we just have to respect it and not cancel each other because we're all freaking learning here. But um. Yeah, no, she's fantastic. And I want to go see a show. I want to go see a stand-up show of hers. Thank you for listening. Keep listening. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We're on Instagram. Send us your stories. DM Follow us. Follow Judy, too. Judy has a podcast called Kill Me Now. Make sure you listen to that. Watch her documentary, Hysterical, on Hulu. It's hysterical and she has a wonderful book called yes i can say that when they come for comedians we're all in trouble make sure you read that because that's very important especially with everything going on right now so thank you for listening rate review follow keep listening because we like talking yeah no kidding me too yeah all right i love you daddy i love you danny <laughs>